Most of us here, I am figuring, I could be wrong, but most of us here are probably baptized. If you're born into an Episcopalian family or a Catholic family, you're baptized usually very, very young, you know, even as an infant. Other denominations hold off on baptism until a person can articulate faith for themselves. And we call that believer's baptism. You know, sometimes somebody even needs to make a case uh, before a group of people as to how it is that their faith is really real and they really believe, and that is necessary to be baptized. But in our tradition, we go with what the early church apparently did, which was to baptize whole households, you know, the, the mom, the dad, the brothers, the sisters, the babies, even the servants were baptized together. And that was because we see that in Acts, actually, that's where we see that sort of thing happening. And that was because it was initially really understood as a rite that adopted you into this intimate family of God. It was about being part of the family of God that you were now able to be part of because of Jesus. And it was understood that through that identity as a member of the family of God, uh, the young people who then would experience just that grace and love of that community uh, would eventually grow into the cognitive awareness of what God had actually done for them in their lives. And out of that context, out of that known experience, they would be able to give their lives to God, you know, and live a holy life. And so in our tradition, it isn't until we're around 12 to 14 that we are asked to reflect on what we believe. And we have the opportunity to declare our faith in Jesus publicly in confirmation. Actually, I wonder, is there anybody here who's in that stage? Yeah, okay. So there's some people here who are right in that place of deciding for yourselves what it would mean to follow Jesus. And for the rest of us, you know, looking back, I'm sure we all had kind of different awarenesses when we were 12 to 14, what we were paying attention to. Some of you were really paying attention and some of you may not have really been paying attention. Um, but I have to say that over my years of preparing confirmands, I have been really impressed. Actually, Chris and I did that together back in Boston. I've been really impressed, you know, as you were negotiating peer pressure, parental pressure, and just really thinking for yourself, what, what is this faith offering to me? What does it mean? How, do I, how can I respond to it? How, how do I believe in Jesus um, and follow him? And I will say that I have always stressed that wanting to want to believe, wanting to want to want to want to believe, uh, would be actually enough for confirmation because it's, it's more of a willingness to go a direction and continue to learn than it is the end of the road, you know? It's a willingness to pay attention to what God is doing in your life. But back to baptism. We just read the scripture about Jesus's baptism, and I want to reflect this morning on what it really means to be baptized. I mean, it happened to most of us, and what does it mean? And I want to look at this question through the lens of a question that Jesus asks his disciples at the very end of his ministry. He actually asks it at the Last Supper, right after he has washed their feet. He's washing their feet, including Judas's feet. 
And we're so touched by that. You know, that he is always giving us the benefit of the doubt right, right up, just hoping he's giving us the benefit of the doubt. You know, even the one who is planning to betray him. He is washing his feet. Anyway, when Jesus had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? What a question. He actually doesn't tell them anything. He asks them to reflect on what they are already aware of in their relationship to him. They've been with him for about three years, and now in this moment of having their feet clean, he asks them to look back and attend to what has happened to them personally with him. And I really don't think he's expecting a theological textbook answer from these guys right now. He wants them to remember their personal journey with him. Do you know what I have done to you? They would remember that he called them. Each one of them, quite personally, he called them. Called them to follow him. Some of them, you know, literally had to put down their fishing nets, set aside the way that they were going to provide for their families, and follow him. They would remember how that felt, you know, if they'd been scared, if there'd been resistance, like with Nathaniel, a little skepticism, or just exuberance, like Peter. They would remember that he had encouraged them by telling them that they were the light of the world. I mean, my goodness, he said, you're the light of the world. That their good works would shine before others and cause people to give glory to God. You know, he gave them enormous purpose and a sense of trust in them, of what they were, going, what they were already doing and what they would continue to do. He taught them to pray to God, not as some far-off, indifferent politician who is possibly bored and overwhelmed by the positions of his constituents, but as dad, you know, deeply concerned and interested in the thoughts and questions and problems and needs of his children. Our father, who art in heaven, and really it's more like our dad, dad in heaven, you know, teaching that, um, that they are a part of God's beloved intimate family. They would remember that he traveled with them. They went from Galilee to Jerusalem, up in the north to Caesarea Philippi, through that unfriendly territory of Samaria, walking together all the way, you know, with all those things, those inconveniences, the discomforts, the snags, the beautiful sunsets, the funny mishaps, the arguments, all those things that occur uh, when you travel together with people. Oh my gosh, where, where is Andrew? We need to get going now. You know, all those things. Then his companionship, his friendship, being with them. They would remember that. They would remember that he modeled seeking out the sorrowful and the sick. You know, the the really shameful sinners. Jesus was always going up to them, spending time with them, and he was doing it uh, not to berate them, but to love them, 
to really love them. And just as a little aside, there's going to be uh, a new exhibit coming up in the Bradford Gallery in the next week or so. And that show is really looking at the way Jesus is with the sorrowful. So you'll be curious to see that next Sunday. They would know, they would remember how Jesus sought out the sorrowful to love them. Uh, he fed them a lot when there was no food around. He offered them forgiveness. And not that sort of stingy, I'm counting how many times I have already forgiven you. That, not that kind. But the just, just erase that slate clean kind of forgiveness. They would have personally remembered that in his face with them. Uh, they would remember that very early on, when they really didn't feel particularly equipped, he sent them out two by two to preach the good news, okay, you know, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, fine, and as a sign of that, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. How scary was that? But the report was that it actually was very successful. They came out rejoicing. And from that, they knew the power of Jesus, that he would give to them authority to do good in this world. They would remember that inexplicably, despite dangers and deprivation, their time with him was filled with joy and rest for their souls because his yoke was easy and his burden light. Somehow in the midst of all that, they felt deeply joyful and at rest in God with Jesus. In short, they would recall that he shared life with them. He trusted them just as they were with the work he felt was most important, and he showed them what love is like. And in small doses, he taught them in the experience of life itself how to be holy like him, you know, in the actual context of their lived out lives. And this and much more he has done for them, free of charge. God offering himself very personally to these followers, and this is even before he dies for them. But Jesus asks them to reflect on the myriad ways that he has touched them recognizably, distinctly. And that is incredibly important for us to do. I'm not diminishing the importance of the textbook answer. Jesus, God incarnate, came to earth to live a holy life and die so that we can be freed from the bondage of sin and open to eternal life. That is really important. But for us to trust that answer, to be able to proclaim it, there's some prior work that the Holy Spirit does in our actual lives to create the ground where that truth will stick. And, you know, I was an artist, and in preparing a canvas uh, for oil paint, you have to paint gesso on. And that's so that the slippery oil paint doesn't just, you know, slide right off the canvas. You gotta give something for it to grip onto. And that, I believe, is what God does, what the Holy Spirit does in your life, preparing that ground you know, so that your declaration of who Jesus is and ability to follow him will stick because you can look back on your own life and say, yeah. 
That work, of course, that preparation work has a name. It's called prevenient grace, you know, coming before grace. That's, that's what we Anglicans call it. Is that correct, Chris? <laughs> God's movement toward us, sustaining us, refreshing us, healing us, even before we entrust ourselves to him. It is out of this acknowledgement of prevenient grace, God's loving invitation, that we baptize infants. You know, because we're just going with that flow. But this experience of prevenient grace will look very different in each of your lives. Do you know what I have done to you? Now, to my knowledge, none of us have been with a physical Jesus, other than, of course, the bread and the wine, which is not nothing. You know, that's, that's his real presence. But it isn't the kind of physical Jesus that those disciples had. And most of us probably haven't had visions, you know, like St. Paul had, and there's some other saints who've really seen the risen Christ and, and heard him speak to them. Some of you may, but I, I have not, actually. Um, but even still, if we look back over our life, we can see the hand of God, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe it was really just as simple as an invitation to come to church, I remember a woman back at Church of the Redeemer, she said, I would go to Sunday school, and I just loved the grape juice we had in our, like, kindergarten, uh, you know, Sunday school. It's like, God worked with her grape juice. I mean, that's fantastic. But it truly, it stuck, you know? It, it, it brought her, it was sweet. It was sweet. Maybe it was the realization that you were going the wrong way. And an inexplicable opening a concerned question, or even a rebuke, you know, a wake-up to something in yourself you didn't really want to see, spoken just when you could hear it for the gracious message that it was. And turn around, a hand held out, a door closed, a thrill up your spine in a song of praise. Do you know what I have done to you? Jesus asks. Because the Christian life is not just some ethical model. Love your neighbor as yourself that you apply to your day. Jesus is talking about something much more intimate. He's asking you to recall the often hidden experience of what he has done to you. The experience that grounds your understanding that he loved you first. As I have loved you, have you experienced this? What was it like? How did you know it was me? As I have loved you, you also love one another. It is because of this understanding that God first loves us that we baptize infants. As Episcopalians, we believe we're simply moving in the flow of prevenient grace God's wanting to give us everything before we even knew him. God drawing all men and women to himself through Jesus. Now, this does not mean that it is impossible to reject God. We can. And that is the reality, the reckless reality of our freedom. 
But in baptism, we are offered forgiveness of sins, union with Christ in his death and therefore in his resurrection life, status as chosen members of God's loved, intimate family, the renewing, guiding presence of the Holy Spirit, joy, peace. Do you know what I have done for you? No, to you. Do you know what I've done to you? Pray this question. You know, it may prove in your life the ground for just a deeper, abiding faith and ability for self-giving, because that's how it works. Amen.